You are listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on KZYX. The song that you just heard was Thomas Brown and Alem Pomo singing the Pomo two-step. Sinwama, welcome. Pika bitam de ana. I am your host, Keishi Corrine Pierce. I'm a local Pomo basket weaver, traditional artist, herbalist, dancer, storyteller, and cultural educator with ancestry from Lake and Mendocino County. Yawi, thank you for joining me today to take a closer look at some of the amazing people, places, and events that make our home in Mendocino, Lake, and Sonoma counties unique and rich. I'm grateful to be able to share some of my personal heroes and friends who happen to be some of the most influential movers and shakers in our local indigenous community and beyond. Welcome to the first Monday of February. We are now a week into Black History Month. Before we welcome and chat with our wonderful guests today, I would like to take a few moments to share a little about the history of what we now celebrate as Black History Month. The story of Black History Month begins in 1915, half a century after the 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States, which was in 1865. In September of 1915, the Harvard-trained historian Carter G. Woodson and the prominent minister Jesse E. Moreland founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, the ASNLH, an organization dedicated to researching and promoting achievements by black Americans and other peoples of African descent. In 1926, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, now known as the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, ASALH, sponsored a National Negro History Week. Choosing the second week of February to coincide with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. In 
The event inspired schools and communities nationwide to organize local celebrations, establish history clubs, and host performances and lectures. In the decades that followed, mayors and cities Mayors of cities across the country began issuing yearly proclamations recognizing Negro History Week. By the late 1960s, thanks in part to the civil rights movement, growing awareness of black identity, and direct action protests by black students and allies, Negro History Week had developed into Black History Month on many college campuses. President Gerald Ford officially recognized Black History Month in 1976, calling upon the public to, quote, seize the opportunity to honor the two often neglected, neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area of endeavor throughout our history, end quote. Today, Black History Month is a time to honor the contributions and legacy of African Americans across U.S. history and society, from activists and civil rights pioneers to leaders in industry, politics, science, sports, entertainment, culture, and more. Since 1976, every American president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month and endorsed a specific theme. I didn't know about the theme, so I'm excited to share that. The first official theme for 1976 was America for All Americans. Last year's theme for 2022 was Black Health and Wellness. The Black History Month 2023 theme is Black Resistance. Black resistance shines a light on historic and modern oppression against African Americans. Advocating for equality has long been a form of resistance. Resisting acts of discrimination, injustice, and racism plays a critical role in African Americans' well-being. Other countries around the world, including Canada and the United Kingdom, also devote a month to celebrating black history. When I was doing research about Black History Month, I found several book lists that feature fiction and nonfiction, as well as movie and documentary, documentary lists designed to inform and educate as well as entertain. I suggest that everyone find a good movie list and watch at least one during the month of February to celebrate the 47th official Black History Month and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s 94th birthday. I have three movie lists for you to check out. The first is from Essence, so you can find it at Essence.com, and is called 28 Movies Everyone Should Watch This Black History Month. MovieWeb.com has 12 movies that honor Black History Month, and the IMDB.com has 54 Black History Month films. I do hope you take some time from your busy schedule and check one or all of those out. I'm grateful for the opportunity to celebrate fellow Americans, and I would like to recognize the intersectionality of our complex and shared past. As this show, Good Ancestors and Local Treasures, focuses on indigenous excellence, I would like to share a very impress impressive list of civil rights leaders, sports heroes, music legends, and entertainment giants who have a mixture of both black and indigenous ancestry. Starting with Jimi Hendrix, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, Lena Horne, Aaliyah, 
Michael Jackson and all the Jacksons, James Earl Jones, Rosa Parks, Red Fox, Beyonce, Oprah Winfrey, James Brown, Tiger Woods, my personal favorite, LL Cool J, Ben Harper, the great Joe Lewis, Eartha Kitt, Felicia Rashad, and Debbie Allen. I must say that is an impressive list. Thank you for listening to our brief but important history lesson, and I hope you take time this month to celebrate Black History Month with your family and community. I'm excited today to introduce our guests. Today we will be chatting with Patricia Franklin and Robin Mealy. Both of these amazing Native women are culture bearers and active creators of living culture. I am so happy that I get to introduce you to them. I'm blessed that I get to spend time with them in my community and harvesting uh, for baskets with them and um, being around ceremonial fire. But um, it is my real, real pleasure and gift to be able to share them with you. So our first guest today is Patricia Franklin of the Scotts Valley Tribe, Patricia Sintamana. Ha'akadi. Chinta A, Washi A, Patricia Franklin, Yimabana Popa. Good morning. How are you? My name is Patricia Ray Franklin of the people of the Above and Beyond Village. And it's also known as Scotts Valley and Sugar Bowl Rancheria. Um, thank you for having me this morning. Um, I am the daughter of Chris Ray Sr and the granddaughter of Bessie Augustine, the great-granddaughter of Robert Augustine, and the great-great-great-granddaughter of, uh, of Chief Augustine. And, and then as it goes on, I, I go all the way up to Bokanis and Bolchich. So, um, and that's on my Lake County side. And then my mother, um, Joanne Hansen, uh, was a member of the Round Valley Indian Reservation, and she had many different tribes. So, <laughs> and then also from Cotto, from my dad, my grandfather, Gene Ray, was uh, Cotto. So we have a lot of, uh, my family is well connected in different uh, tribes in the area. Um, but yeah, so as again, thank you for having me. Um, I, I guess just a little bit of, about me. Um, I love art. I love, uh, I love learning my culture. Um, I, you know, it didn't actually start out that way, although I've always admired art. I've always admired culture and I grew up with my, a lot with my aunt, my aunt, um, Bonnie Elliott, um, I stayed with her a lot as a little girl. I spent summers with her um, on the Hopland Reservation. And um, she was married to um, William Elliott. And uh, so I often, like every night, she would be making her baskets or making um, regalia. Um, I just remember after a hard day's work, watching her doing all of those things and just really admiring her. And as a little girl, I just now things come back to me that um, that she would talk about, you know, and and so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for um, that exposure. And I remember just always kind of being around it, you know, um, 
of course, she lived next door to her mother-in-law, um, Alice Elliott, and Alice was always making baskets as well. And I remember thinking how awesome it was because she spoke, um, she still, she spoke Pomo and, uh, and I couldn't understand her. And, but my, uh, my cousin understood her, um, Carmela, um, Elliot. And so I would always say, what did she say? You know, <laughs> but, um, I just, that was really, uh, I'm thankful to have been able to be around it, you know, because of my aunt and, um, also, you know, I guess it was just all around, but I never thought that I would be able to do those things, you know. Um, at the time growing up, you know, we, we were pretty, we were pretty poor and we were, you know, my mom was a single mother, um, with seven kids and she was surviving, you know, and that was hard because, uh, because she, yeah, she just really, struggled with um making ends meet and things like that so it wasn't like we had a uh, you know access to um you know if we had gas it wasn't to take us to a sports event or to do anything extra so um so that part of it i understood you know and she would always say you know i don't have time for that kind of stuff but she was an artist my mother was a beautiful artist and once in a while I would get to see what she called her scribbles <laughs> and her scribbles were these beautiful drawings of people and um I just remember thinking man this should be in a museum you know whenever I would get them but she would always get rid of them or destroy them she was never um she didn't it was never good enough put it that way for her you know and, and, and I understand that as an artist now that that's kind of how I am. Like, there's always something wrong, <laughs> little, little, little something wrong. So, um, so I kind of, I guess I get that from my mom. <laughs> um, and then she was also a singer. So she, uh, she sang to us, you know, as little kids and, um, that's what she did. You know, she, that was what she gave us. And I didn't, um, inherit that, uh, the singing that she did because she would sing Janis Joplin and things like that. But, um, but I now have picked up singing, um, singing songs, traditional songs. So I think my voice is okay for that. <laughs> uh, I always say I don't have a, a melodious voice, but I do, um, think it's important to, for me to learn these things for carrying them on. Um, a little bit, I guess, about my tribe. I, uh, so my tribe was, uh, terminated in, in 1965 and relocated to the Bay Area. And, um, it was voted that, you know, we should, the whole tribe should be relocated. My dad didn't go. Um, but a lot of our tribal members did go because, you know, back then it was survival. And the goal of it was to, um, assimilate us into mainstream society and that we would um, no longer have our culture anymore, that we wouldn't have our language, that we would just go right into mainstream society. And so um, that was something that was hard because I, I, my tribe didn't get re-recognized 
until 1992, effective 1991, after my father and um, Steve Elliott went to court and sued the federal government for re-recognition. Okay, and hold so- on. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you really quick because I I know that a lot of people listening um, don't understand what you're talking about re-recognition and and having to go to court. Um, there was a time in California Native history where tribes were terminated. So uh, tribes in California were told, oh, you're, you're no longer Native. And in fact, they removed the option for Native American on birth certificates. So we all have aunties and uncles whose birth certificate says white, even though they're brown as a paper bag. Um, and um, we had several heroes uh, in our history who who had the wherewithal to take the government to court and win back our rights to be a tribe. Unfortunately, half of the tribes that were um, terminated are still not federally recognized. Um, and that's a struggle that we all go through. So I just want to interrupt and say what that is and um, let Patty know that I'm grateful to her family for, for doing that fight. <laughs> Thank you, Corinne. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so um, the reason I wanted to share that is because it kind of goes into my art. You know, um, I don't even know that I really consider it art. Um, so my son, another um, thing that kind of plays into um, this, like I said, I never thought I would be able to do any of the anything that I do today, sewing, anything. Um, uh, but my, so, okay. So I kind of had a little, little, um, I guess people kind of poured into me along the way. Um, I made my first basket when I was, uh, 10 years old, um, with my aunt Bonnie and that was, uh, a doll basket. And, um, uh, it was a blessing because I was able to do that side by side with my mother. She actually made a basket and I still have pictures of those. And I'm just really uh, blessed to have that, you know, that my first basket was actually made with, with my aunt. And then um, later on, I was, uh, you know, other people have, have just poured into me because um I don't, I didn't learn from my grandmother, you know, like the traditional way, but there's many people, you know, Corrine, you're one of them that has uh, been a part of my, my growth in learning my, my culture and those parts of my culture, um, basket weaving, um, beadwork and um, regalia making and, you know, all of those things. So, um, but my son, so to get back to that, my son, he actually uh, had a life-threatening illness when he was two years old, and I um, just was really distraught. You know, it's hard for a mother um, going through that traumatic event when you don't know if your child's going to live or if they're going to be gone the next day or the next moment. And so I really, I was pretty stressed, you know, and so I began to look up um, things that I could do to relieve that stress naturally. And so I I started um, going back to beadwork. I had learned it previously from my brother and from um, another gentleman. So I did that in there. And I realized that when I was beading, that 
the stress left. And so I could be the mom I needed to be for my son at that time because he really needed me. And so it was really for him and it was really for my family that I knew I had to be my best. And so part of that battle, a big part of it was was starting to do art. And at that time, I uh, I challenged myself to learn new things. Um, at the time, I learned crochet. I began to um, sew, but by hand. I didn't even know how to work a sewing machine at the time. Uh, and then, and then I started to just uh, okay. So the tribe started a dance group, and I, uh, my brother actually was a part of that, um, Gabriel Ray, and he. They started a dance group, um, and Eagle. Um, Basal and Brown, Shea Duncan, Rose Steele, and um, Mio was a part of, always a part of our, um, Mio Marufo was always a part of our tribe's uh, cultural education program, and she still is today, um, and they are as well, but uh, so then once I got started, once that started, I just kind of connected the dots with the history, you know, and just thought, I realized how important it was that it wasn't just learning um, these things. It wasn't just learning how to dance. It wasn't just learning. I, I had danced previously, but nobody told me the whys. Nobody said, this is why you're dancing. This is what it means, um, you know, and the, and the, the depth of it, you know, that this is what we do for our people. This is what we do to, to, um, take care of ourselves and those things, um, that were being showed to us that this is so important for our people, you know. And I remember one of the first things that, um, that was asked, you know, was, uh, has anyone prayed before, you know, and it just, kind of broke my heart because there were a lot that had never actually prayed and and uh and it just made me realize this is bigger than than I could than me right that this is bigger than me I got to learn these things in order to pass them on to keep them alive in my tribe so from that moment I just began to learn 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 and um and it was for them, right? For my whole tribe, because I love them. They're all my family. And that, uh, and that somebody needs to do that part of it. And I knew I wasn't always the best. <laughs> like I said, I don't have the best, most melodious voice, but I do have the passion. Um, and I knew I wasn't always the best beater or the best this or that, but I knew that I could teach it. I could teach my family. I could teach my nieces and nephews and that. Um, that really is what the drive was for me. And so then, um, someone had come, my son had a teacher cause he was home medical. <laughs> and, um, so she would come every day and I'd be working on stuff, working on regalia, working on different things and, um, you know, regalia and we'd be singing songs and we'd stop, you know, when she came and, and then, you know, she would always say, Oh, what are you doing? And we'd, I kind of, we kind of give her, you know, Oh, we're just doing this. And so she, um, kept saying, Oh, you guys should, should have an art show, you know, cause all the kids would be doing everything with me. And I was all thinking, is this really art? You know, 
I didn't consider it art, it's just what we do. And so she actually um, said if she, she began to um, help us with an art show and for, and I was so happy, the kids were happy. And I thought, wow, this is pretty interesting that something that we do every day is, you know, considered art. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, we had our first art show. That was the Franklin Family Art Show. And um, I believe that might have been in around 2016. And so uh, that had a lot of showing. And I was glad because my children were able to show off their, um, their art. And, you know, I my niece even had some stuff in there because they were making skirts and, and dresses and things. And um, so that was, that was my first inter introduction to art shows. And then after that, I uh, was in a few other art shows. Um, they recently, the gathering time art show um, that Mio Marufo uh, asked me to be a part of. And then I, um, the Hemetki art show, um, that was a tribute to my um, late mother-in-law, uh, Pearl Mukaibi. Um, We had that one at the Corner Gallery, and that was a combination of all of my family's art. So my nieces, um, my nephews, my sisters, um, they were all a part of that. Because I always like to show that as well, you know, not just the... I'm doing it, but that they're learning and they're continuing on with, with art. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit about also about, um, about the Pummel Weaver Society, because that has been a very important part of my growth. Um, so during the pandemic, uh, I came across, uh, Silver Galetto and the Pummel Weaver Society uh, Facebook page, and I was uh, I was watching these videos that Silver was putting on there, and I was just so amazed because it made me feel like I could do that, I could do that, <laughs> and so I tried it and I could do it. <laughs> I was every challenge because there's a challenge of the month, and when it would come up, I would think, man, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> And then here, when it would happen, I would actually come up with a piece, you know, a different weaving style and be able to accomplish it. And it just amazed me. Um, Silver is such a good uh, teacher. And even with, like I said, he was so um, hospitable, so hospitable and down to earth because at one point I wanted to gather sedge and I was like, he asked if anyone wanted to gather sedge and I said, yeah. And I went <laughs> and, you know, I had met silver before, but you know, kind of more on a um, business trips and things like that. Uh, so I didn't really know him that well, but I liked him, you know, the first time I met him, <laughs> but he was just so hospitable. Yeah. You know, and just inviting and showed me how to um, dig for sedge. And, you know, after that I went to some, some of his uh events and um where he was teaching and it was just amazing so yeah so that pomo weaver society is another big step in my basket weaving um uh progress and 
So I know I only have a few minutes um, left. Um, I just want to say thank you for having me today. And I really appreciate you allowing me to share about myself and about my family, which I do have a wonderful husband, Dino Franklin Jr., and um, 11 children five biological and uh, six step and seven grandchildren. And I just couldn't um, end it without sharing about them. They're beautiful and um, they're just my world. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Patty. Um, I just want everybody to know also that Patty blesses our community by um, teaching uh, everything that she learns. It just goes it goes into her and comes right out of her in the form of teaching to community members. And I absolutely love that. And I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on here today, Patty. Uh, you're listening to Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce on KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We are talking to Patty Franklin and Robin Mealy today. Today about the work that they do uh, creating art and culture in our local community and I'm so excited to welcome my second guest uh, Robin Mealy who is from the Federated Tribes of Grayton is that right I, every time I look it up I feel like it's a new and different name um, <laughs> I've known Robin for a while and I I'm so excited to hear what she has to say welcome Robin Sintamana Good morning. Thank you. My name is Robin Neely. Um, I come from the Federated Indians of Great and Rancheria, which is Southern Pomo and Coast Miwok. But I also am um, part uh, Choctaw from McAllister, Oklahoma, and Navajo um, from Chuba City, Arizona. For, so for, for my Navajo folks, I'm a Tudichini, you got to know that. <laughs> uh, those are my clans, which translates to uh, bitter water in Mexican. And it was uh, very important for my grandma to teach me that um, in, our, in her language. Um, wow, I just was so I intrigued by what was pa what Patty was saying. You know, I've known Patty and Korean for a couple of years now, and I just love hearing them and their stories. And when we get together, we just laugh and giggle, and we get on this weaving thing. And sometimes, you know, it gets it gets emotional. Um, but it, it, it's more than just art. The, the way that I look at the things that we do, it, it's healing. And that was one of the things that I, I wanted to express, especially when Patty said that when she was trying to, um, find something to, to, to help her with her struggles was, um, find doing that art. Um, but let me back up. <laughs> Um, I, I was actually raised in Yosemite National Park. I know everybody's like, what? How did you get there? So, um, my grandpa, who is Pomo and, um, Coast Miwok, he was born in Santa Rosa, California, and he became an orphan. His mom died of tuberculosis, and, um, his dad died two years after that. And so he went into foster care, and, um, a German lady, decided to take all six kids, five kids, I'm sorry, because nobody would take them. So they wanted to split them up. And so she took in the kids. And then when they were old enough, um, she sent them off to Indian boarding school in Carson City, Nevada. And um, that's where he grew up. 
and with all of his siblings. And he's taken me there. And he said, sometimes it was the saddest times that he experienced um, because he, he wondered why he didn't have a mom or a dad or a question why. <laughs> um, she didn't love him. Yeah, um, but she did. And he didn't understand what it meant that she had passed because he was such a little guy. And he remembers running to his older sister, which is uh, Julia Parker, and she's a renowned basket weaver, um, running to her dorm room so he could sleep by her just to be um, comforted at night because that was like his mom. Um, So he grew up in the boarding school system, and then um, he moved to Yosemite National Park following his sister, his older sister. Um, That's where she met her husband, and so the, the, the younger siblings followed her. My grandmother, she is full-blooded Navajo from um, to the city reservation. She was actually went to boarding school there too. Um, and then when she got old enough, she actually moved to Riverside, where she became a nanny for a white couple. Um, she tells me her stories too, and she was like, "The mom expected me to cook, and the only thing I knew how to cook was potatoes. <laughs> I only knew how to boil potatoes, so that's all they ate." And then she, uh, some of her girlfriends um, heard about this program where they were hiring um, Native people to work for the Park Service. So she followed them there, and that's where she met my grandpa. And she, they had my uncles and my mom, and that's that's where she grew up. And he taught her everything, how to cook, how to drive, about raising kids. They, they really grew up there. But then... Um, my mom got older, and she decided to move away, and she moved to San Jose, California, where she met my dad, who was from Oklahoma, and um, she met him on the softball team. Imagine that. <laughs> and they had me. So I was born in San Jose, California, but I was raised in Yosemite. She went back home, and uh, that's where I grew up. Um, my culture has always been around me. I've been raised around the um, Southern Sierra Miwok culture. Uh, so I got to see that growing up, and my grandma and grandpa helped the tribal council um, try to get recognized. They're still fighting for recognition, as Patty was saying, over 50 years now. Um, they did their big times. I saw dances. I remember elders coming up um, and dancing and singing in the Maidu Company. So it was always embedded in me. Um, when I got older um, and I started having kids of my own, I knew that um, I needed to go to college. I actually moved away from Yosemite. I wanted to give them a better life, and I didn't want to work um, for for concessions. And that's like cleaning up after the guests and some stuff like that. I knew I wanted to do. I wanted to do management. So I ended up moving to Sonora, California, Tuolumne County, and it was it was just like my backyard because I grew up with um, the, pe- the the people of Tuolumne County and. Um, participated in some of their ceremonies but there was something there was something more that i wanted i wanted to know about my people my culture and when i was a little girl i thought i was the only pomo around i didn't know about any other pomos except for well my family you know but i didn't know what that meant you know i didn't know the culture i didn't know the art i didn't know the stories and um when I was in Tuolumne, one of the women told me, because I kept asking these questions, and she was like, I don't know, I can't tell you that. You have to move home. And I got a little offended because I grew up in that area all my life. I was like, why is she trying to make me leave? <laughs> you know? Um, and, and then I found one of my 
distant cousins, he came up to a language conference and it ad- ended up being Joseph Byron. And we ended up talking and then we, that's how we figured out we were related because we share the great, same great grandma. And he would always ask me, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? I'm like, I'm not moving. <laughs> this is my home. But things happened the way they did. And I ended up leaving Sonora and coming to Santa Rosa, California. And I would say that was the best move I have ever done. It has got me back into my culture and to learn about my people, to learn about my heritage, the history of our people, and to carry that or to, to give that knowledge to my children. Um, I work for my tribe now, which is Federated Indians of Great and Rancheria. And everything that I ever wanted to know I'm getting the answers. I've always prayed, where are my ancestors' sites? How did they survive? Where are these um, basket materials? And it's like, pray to her that. And it's giving me those blessings. And I take those things and I try to give back to my community because there is a lost connection I see with some of our um, citizens. And it's, it's no fallout of their own, you know, with being in a residential school and the mission system, you know, a lot of us lost that and no fault of our own. So I try to bring that back with, within our people. And, um, (laughs) same story, a little similar to, um, Patty's is how, when she got started getting back in the basket weaving, um, with silver, so did I, it had to do around the pandemic and, um, well, let me get back to where I was talking about basket we- basket weaving. I actually started when I was a kid, too, in Yosemite with my Aunt Julia. And I remember my first basket being made out of tule. And I didn't have any understanding of plants. It was boring to me, <laughs> you know. And I, I think she knew that because she's like, she's not ready yet. And um, I think that was the last one I ever, the first and last one I ever did for a very long time. And then when I came back to Santa Rosa, they had a basket class um, for our tribe. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of curious. I want to go, I want to go try it out. So I started um, at our class, but all the stuff was provided for us. The willow, the sedge, everything uh, was provided for us. And I was like, wait a minute, there's, there's something missing. Like, where do I get these things? How do I harvest them? The time of year, there was more knowledge I needed to know. And, um, my teacher at the time like he would tell me but he wouldn't like show me where and so i was like okay there's something missing i want more (laughs) and then again i saw that uh the thing on facebook about the pomo weaver society that they were harvesting sedge and so i reached out to my cousin joseph because i saw pictures of him i was like hey how come you didn't invite me (laughs) and he was like well it wasn't my place you know you gotta you gotta ask silver and like, I've seen Silver through in and out of the community and I was all, is he nice? Cause I'm so scared. <laughs> and he's like, yes, he's fine. I was like, okay. So I reached out to Silver and I went and I harvested and it was, it was so fun. It, I felt like m- my whole circle was making its round and I'm finally here and learning how to dig these plants and roots. Cause that's that's the biggest thing is you got to know your plant resources and where to harvest them and how to, how to take care of them before you become a basket viewer, I would say. Um, so I did that, and I have just been just harvesting, um, looking forward to the spring to get out there and in the bushes again. <laughs> um, and and I, I haven't been able to stop. I just, 
my hands just want to go. Um, a couple of shows that my my stuff has been in is um, the Corner Gallery in Ukiah, the Grace Hudson Gathering Time, and we're doing a show right now at um, Sonoma Valley Art Museum of Art. Um, people call me a, a woman of many talents. I also bead. I also do sewing. Uh, weaving and I guess photography because Mia Rufo who's um, putting it on put some of my photos in there <laughs> and she's like you didn't know you were a photographer I was like no <laughs> so um, I have some pictures in there um, doing this type of art has been very healing for me when the time I got back into basket weaving because I, I put it away for about 10 years was I was coming out of um, a really abusive relationship and nothing was nothing was helping me. I needed something I guess to call that spirit back that was gone from from me. From all the emotional abuse. And I want people to understand that this is more than art. Our hearts, our love goes into these things. And when you Put your hands to that dirt when you're gathering your roots. I feel like Mother Earth is taking all of that pain that we endured for so long. And it was such a healing for me. And along my way and along my journey, I got to bring my children and my daughter. And I have Kareem, Mio, Patty, and Silver to thank for make, helping me become the woman I am today and to become the weaver and to pass this cultural knowledge not only to my children, but also my troubled citizens. And uh, when people go out into the community and see these things, see them as more than just a beautiful thing in the art that we're trying to bring these creations back within our community. So it would be a normal thing. One of the best comments I got at, at the opening of the art gallery last, last Saturday was um, one of the ladies came up to me and she's like, you know, every time I go to a museum, I always see these old baskets and they're beautiful. Don't get me wrong. They're gorgeous. But this museum right here is showing modern day people and their art. And it's so beautiful. That's what I want to see. I want to see what the, the people of today are still creating. And that was just so inspiring. I was like, yes, and I can make more. <laughs> I just need the time. Um, yeah, that was, that was some good words that she said. Um, can't think of anything else to talk about. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk about some stuff. So Rob, Robin said a few things that made me think of some other stuff. And there's a couple of quotes that it really made me think of. And one will probably make me cry is that um, for Native people, and we always want uh, to be in the land. And there's this saying that is, um, as much as you want the land back, imagine how much the land wants you back. So there is this connection when you go out um, and you harvest. And there's a big difference between someone who knows how to weave a basket and someone who's a basket weaver. So I want to point that out. Um, 
for a long time, we were all just only allowed to be basket weavers um, because we weren't allowed access to private property, state property, uh, in order to harvest. And something that Robin is doing is she's actually working with government agencies and entities on behalf of her tribe and behalf of weavers, actual weavers, um, to get access for that. And it feels like you might be one of the first people in Sonoma County, County to be doing that. Um, and I'm really grateful that you do that. And then another thing that I I always quote Sherry Smith Ferry because I love her and she's uh, just a wealth of knowledge. And she says, um, by the time you sit down to weave a basket, 90% of the hard work has already been done. So I want you guys to remember that. Everybody that's listening, if you have a chance um, to go see these baskets, there's actually um, two baskets in the seaweed exhibit right now. Actually, three baskets in the seaweed exhibit in uh, the Grace Hudson Museum. I have a seaweed basket in there. And I make, I used to make a new basket every year for Easter. And I say it was for Easter, but really it's for harvesting seaweed because seaweed <laughs> time is coming up right, right after Easter. So that's there. There's also a basket made by uh, Robert Quittiquit, who is in there. And there is the most beautiful, giant seaweed tray that's uh, on display for the very first time there. It was donated um, in honor of Sherry Smith Ferry's retirement. And it's so big. It's the first time that it's been able to be shown. And it's in the biggest glass box that they have. So it's worth it to go see that. It's worth it just to go down there and see that giant glass box, which is hilarious. Um, and then also, um, there is a seaweed, a basket made out of seaweed that, um, Monique, uh, oh gosh, I'm gonna butcher her last name. Sonaqui has in there. So go see that. Go down to Sonoma and check out this exhibit. I was not able to go there on the opening night because I was teaching a creek restoration class <laughs> over in Cobb. So I would have had to drive so far. But I did go on Thursday and I was so impressed. Um, the arrangement of the art is beautiful. Your pictures were beautiful. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's made such a difference. Like, I see this difference uh, in these kids because I've been teaching basketry a long time, a long time. And when I was young, it was nobody was showing up to learn. Nobody. And now there's so many people showing up to learn in our community, so many people with with skills that they actually are able to build off of, not just basic knowledge, real skills. And I keep thinking about your little girl and the picture that we have this group chat <laughs> of, of weavers and we all send each other crazy stuff and pictures. And that picture of your little girl bending a towel like it was willow. Um, it's just the cutest thing in the whole world and her with all her little bet and that's that's normal like that is the new normal and for me to see that for yes. us to see that in our lifetime um, where when uh, Pomo Weavers Society started um, I remember me and Silver talking about like it can't just be us 
it can't we can't be it you know um there's got to be other people that are searching for other weavers that are searching for more knowledge um and that's really really amazing i love hanging out with you guys i love spending time with you can you tell me about that well first before i ask you about the dress that you have in the exhibit down there which is like oh my god i love purple it's my my jam and that dress i was just like ooh, i could wear that Um, (laughs) but before i say that um Patty and Robin were both in the Gathering Time exhibit at the Grace Hudson. They both had art in the Our Safety, Our Sovereignty exhibit, um, which is actually going to be traveling. It's going to be at the Middletown Art Center in April. It's going to be at the Willits Art Center in July, I believe. And then it's going to be down in Sebastopol. Um, So these women are like so so talented they are masters of many many skills and at the if any of you were lucky enough to see gathering time which was so outstanding um there is there was a purple dress in that exhibit and robin (laughs) made that for me i was lucky enough to go to the met opening in new york of the jules tavernier exhibit and she made that dress for me so that we could represent our people you know what the style of dress that we wear and the style of dress is is kind of a, a lake county style because i have ancestry from mendocino and lake county but all my stories come from around the lake because um when you're from lake county you really consider yourself to be the center of the universe (laughs) and i always say uh clear lake is the oldest uh lake in north america it's the largest natural lake so if there were natives in this area they were going to be there so we've been there a long time of course we consider ourselves the center of the universe and um those kinds of dresses are are very fluffy they have a lot of pleating a lot of fabric and we always joke about um, marrying the girl with the biggest dress because then you know that she can put clothes on your kids back she can put curtains <laughs> she can make a bedspread and that dress was so amazing and then for opening night of the gathering time I didn't know what to wear because my best dress was on the mannequin <laughs> in the museum and um, right next to that was an outfit that Patty made and it was definitely for for thin (laughs) ladies so i couldn't even imagine myself in that one um but we have a couple more minutes patty will you will you tell us about that dress that you made um sure yeah so that dress um i think it you know i had a dream about that dress although i didn't it didn't um I chose yellow because the, in the dream it had a, it was white and I felt like that was more ceremonial. So I did make some changes because I felt like it was more of an art piece to show everybody at, at the showing. And so, um, but yes, I love um, deer and, you know, it had deer prints and um, deer have been really special to our people. And, um, we know we have dances for deer, and I just love how deer prints look. And then um, yellow is my daughter's favorite color. 
And so that's how that dress came about. But it was really um, knowing and trusting that Mio was, because because she's the one who asked me to, I had started it, but then when I, when I knew it was Mio that I was pretty much making the dress for, um, for her show, I trusted that she was really going to accept my creation. And so I just put everything into it, just everything that I thought in that came to my mind, except for, like I said, the dream and it being, it would have been white if it was what I dreamt. <laughs> that dress was so beautiful. It made me want to exercise so that I could fit it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, then I, this, another thing is I remember, um, I remember Robin telling me that because of the mannequins, um, that it needed to, well, that hers looked shorter on one of the mannequins in one art show. And so I was like, man, I need to make this longer. So that's why it's long and thin, like it, like it, it turned out. I was actually wondering that, Robin, <laughs> at the one in Sonoma. I was like, I bet on me, this dress would be full length. <laughs> but on this mannequin, it's just below her knees. Is it a full length dress? For me, I'm five foot, you guys, all right? I'm little. When I cut out the dress, like, the panels were supposed to be long ways, but I'm just so used to sewing for short people. It just went the opposite until I put it on the mannequin, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) And there was so much sewing into that dress, like, there's no going back. So I was like, I'm just going to leave it at it. Um, When Mio Marufo asked me to make this dress, she was like, I want it far from tradition. I want it modern. And I was like, I've done powwow since I was a little kid. So I know how to make moccasins and skirts and all the applique. So I was like, whoa, you're bringing out that inner that I put away for so long, you know? So I went far from tradition. I got this dress, you guys, is just for art only. It will never be danced in the roundhouse. It's not, for me, it's not supposed to, but I want to give... Um, the public a view of how beautiful it is when you're in ceremony and you're in the roundhouse. Um, that visual but on the outside. Um, it's got some really vibrant fabric that I would never use in ceremony. <laughs> so um, the flicker band represents our boys that wore the flickers and sometimes our women wear it too. Um, it was a vision that I saw a while back and I just needed to produce it. And Mia was that extra push that, hey, get it done. We need it by this date. And I was like, all right, all my creativity is coming out. And when I was making that dress, I actually, I just more started coming to mind. And I was just like, I just need to sit down and sew. And it was such a fun project. And I was like, I looked at, when I stepped back and looked at it, I was like, all right, this is going to bring out emotions. Either you're really going to love it or you're really going to hate it because it's not ceremonial use. So I was glad to pull that, those feelings out of people, the public, when they saw it. Yeah, it is so modern. Like it is iridescent. It has mm-hmm. velveteen on it. it I was mm-hmm. like, put put me on your list <laughs> for non-ceremony <laughs> fancy pants dress because it was it was so gorgeous. I I really I think that may have been my favorite thing there. It was just, and and I I love that because we have the right 
to uh, to change and grow and and evolve with our society and our culture and even though it can look weird to some people for us it is just the next step you know keeping our traditions alive and creating new traditions that's what we are supposed to do that's how we stay viable that's how we keep living that's how we keep our kids engaged um, I am so grateful to both of you for spending this morning with me um, I I wish I could talk to you every week on here because I love the stories that you tell. Thank you so much for being involved in the community. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining me on Good Ancestors and Local Treasures with Corrine Pierce. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.